This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Idea City Podcast. For more information or to watch talks online, go to ideacity.ca or check out the Idea City channel on YouTube. Hello, and welcome to Idea City on the Air. By the end of the next half hour, you'll be inspired and enlightened by the world's biggest ideas, innovations, and breakthroughs as you hear about them in talks from the planet's smartest people. Moses Neimer's three-day annual Idea City conference in Toronto has been called Canada's premier meeting of the minds, and we're glad to have your mind with us. In this episode of Idea City on the Air, the Honorable Erwin Cutler speaks about the ongoing fight for human rights. Now, let's join Moses as he introduces Erwin to the stage. So, Erwin Cutler is a really old pal of mine. We go back a long time, all the way to McGill, and even before that, we used to pal around at the McGill Daily and at the Debating Society. We used to spend long nights in the Students' Union debating dialectic. Uh, he went on to become a professor of law, a highly successful politician, and minister of justice in the Paul Martin government, and I drifted into television. <laughs> As it happens, we meet at an important moment of remembrance and reminder. It's the 75th anniversary of the mass deportation of 440,000 Hungarian Jews to the death camps in Auschwitz. While the international bystander community, who could not say at that time that they did not know, acquiesced in what was happening. In July 1944, a Swedish diplomat, Raoul Wallenberg, became Canada's first honorary citizen, came to the Swedish legation in Budapest. And for the next six months, through his bravado and bluff, through the mobilization of others, They saved the remnant of 100,000 Hungarian Jews. So what the whole international bystander community could not bring itself to do, one man demonstrated that one person with the compassion to care and the courage to act can confront evil and transform history. And as it happens, we meet at an important, I would say historical inflection moment today, where we are witnessing a resurgent global authoritarianism, a massive assault on human rights, the retreat of democracies, 
and the pain and plight of political prisoners as a looking glass into this historical inflection moment. And so what I would like to do is share with you four case studies of this resurgent authoritarianism. So let me begin with the case of Saudi Arabia. As we meet the imprisoned Saudi blogger Raif Badawi has been languishing in prison for seven years for saying seven years ago what Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, in his charm offensive last year in visiting the United States and Europe, was himself saying, namely, that we need a more open Saudi Arabia, a more moderate Islam. Equally, Raif Badawi's sister, Samar Badawi, has been languishing in prison for calling for the right to drive even after the crown prince has instituted the right to drive and where other women human rights defenders are equally languishing in prison as we meet. Our foreign minister, Christia Freeland, tweeted a call for the release of both Raif Badawi and his sister, Samar Badawi. This was nothing new. Canada had tweeted a call for the release of Raif Badawi under the uh, previous conservative government. The Canadian parliament had unanimously adopted resolutions calling for Raif Badawi's release and the like. Yet the Saudi kingdom, you recall, erupted in fury. They ejected the Canadian ambassador to Saudi Arabia. They recalled the Saudi ambassador from Canada. They suspended all trade and investment with uh, Canada. They recalled 15,000 Saudi students studying in Canada. But the reason I'm sharing all this with you is after this ferocious outburst of Saudi Arabia in the manner that I just described, not one democracy came to Canada's defense, not one. The silence of the democracies, as I wrote at the time, emboldened the crown prince and led him to believe that he could, in effect, behave with impunity. And that took us down the road two months later to the brutal murder of Jamal Khashoggi. There's almost a direct line between the silence of the democracies and then the brutal murder of Khashoggi. That murder served for a while as a wake-up call. There were resolutions of condemnation in the European Parliament and in Congress and the like. But as we meet, the criminalization of dissent continues. The response by the Saudi authorities was immediate. They rejected any notion of an investigation and, as I said, the criminality and the impunity continue. Which brings me to the second case study, and that of Khamenei's Iran. 
On December 10th, Human Rights Day, our Raoul Wallenberg Center for Human Rights released a report documenting and detailing the massive assaults, arrests, imprisonment, tortures, in detention, extrajudicial execution of an almost unprecedented character in the year 2018, where many of the leaders of every civil society group in Iran were subjected to arrest and imprisonment and sometimes torture. I'm speaking about the women's movement, which has emerged as the largest and most courageous human rights movement uh, in Iran today. I'm speaking about uh, journalists, about ethnic and religious leaders, about students, about trade union leaders, as I say, leaders of all expressions of civil society. Environmentalists and environmental protection in Iran became a capital offense. They subjected the eight members to arrest, imprisonment, some tortured in detention, and imposed national security charges against them, rendering them liable themselves for execution. And so environmental protection has been made a capital offense. And which brings me to the case of this brave, heroic woman, Nasreen Sutada, where we just recently marked the anniversary of her arrest. And where some three months ago, Nasreen Sudida, who has gone down the line to defend other women, to defend juveniles destined for execution, to defend journalists, to defend other human rights defenders, to defend other political prisoners, until she herself became a political prisoner. A woman in her mid-50s, this heroic woman was sentenced to 38 years in prison and 148 lashes. A virtual death sentence for the woman who has emerged, as I said, as the Mandela of Iran. Coming up after the break. All of his years on the bench, 25 years, he had never seen such horrific cases of torture. Welcome back to Idea City on the Air. You're listening to the Honorable Erwin Kotler speak about the ongoing fight for human rights. About close to two years ago, I was one of three people to be appointed to what the Organization of American States called in appointing us an independent panel of legal experts to look into whether there are reasonable grounds to believe that crimes against humanity are being committed in Venezuela. At the conclusion of our sustained involvement, we held that there were indeed reasonable grounds to conclude that seven major crimes against humanity were being committed in Venezuela. And we named the crimes and we named those responsible, which included multiple cases of murder 
12,000 cases of arbitrary imprisonment and deprivation of liberty, horrific cases of torture that led Justice Manuel Ventura Drobles to say that in all of his years on the bench, 25 years, he had never seen such horrific cases of torture, of massive cases of sexual violence, of forced disappearances, of all this being committed under a persecutory crime against humanity, whereby all those believed to be opponents of the regime, or those even who do not speak up to support the regime, were themselves uh, targeted with respect to each or any of these above crimes against humanity. And the worst, the worst being state orchestrated humanitarian suffering, the weaponization of food and medicine, which has led to hundreds of thousands of preventable deaths and diseases. And indeed, since our report, the situation has only worsened. But I will conclude with a case study of Venezuela's authoritarianism and the massive assaults on human rights through the looking glass of Leopoldo Lopez, the leader of the democratic opposition, who was arrested in February 2014, recently escaped, but in the Spanish embassy. We heard from Judge Renata Tovar, a judge from Venezuela who issued the arrest warrant for Leopoldo Lopez's arrest, who escaped, came to Washington, appeared in our public hearings, and said that she was ordered to issue the arrest warrant on pain of imprisonment and torture of herself. And so I'm giving you just one looking glass into the assault on the rule of law, into the criminalization of dissent, into the culture of impunity. Our commission of inquiry recommended that Maduro and designated leaders whom we identified and their criminality whom we documented, that this be referred to the International Criminal Court for investigation and possible prosecution. Regrettably, to this date, the ICC has not yet moved on these recommendations. And, as I mentioned, and this is the most important thing, the humanitarian suffering in Venezuela continues to worsen amidst the assault on human rights, the crimes against humanity, the culture of impunity. On December 1st, the Canadian Department of Justice, acting pursuant to a request from the United States under the Canada-U.S. extradition treaty, arrested Mei Guanzhou, the chief operating officer of Huawei Corporation, on grounds that she had committed 
fraud and breach of Iran sanctions and the like. But in this case, Meng Wanzhou, after she was arrested, got the right to bail, the right to counsel, the right to live in her <coughs> home mansion in Vancouver, and the right to an extradition hearing before an independent judiciary where she will be able to challenge that extradition decision. But what happened shortly after that, after Canada acting pursuant to a rule of law request, were the Chinese authorities responding by calling what Canada did as vile, evil, and unconscionable, and then proceeding to engage in, in hostage diplomacy of which you've been reading about arresting two Canadians uh, in China, holding them virtually incommunicado, denying them the right to counsel, charging them with national security charges, two other Canadians elevating their charges to risks of execution, trade embargo, I can go on and on. But I want to close with the case that you didn't hear much about, because that's a real looking glass into not the evil, unconscionable behavior of Canada, but I would say the manner in which China has been acting. Dr. Wang Bizang came to Canada in 1979, received his doctorate in medicine from McGill University, and then decided while practicing medicine would be a good thing to do, establishing an overseas China democracy movement to try to bring democracy to China was even more compelling. Fast forward to 2002. Dr. Wang Bizang is in Vietnam with some of his colleagues where he's abducted by the Chinese authorities, brought back to China, and in a sham trial of less than two hours is charged and convicted of both the crimes of treason and terrorism and sentenced to life imprisonment in solitary confinement. Which brings us to his daughter, Tiana Wang, has been trying desperately for 10 years to get a visa to visit her ailing father. She gives birth to her infant son and finally gets a visa and the visit is to take place amidst all that now is happening between Canada and China around <coughs> the extradition cases and the like. She travels to China with her infant son. She stopped at the Beijing airport. She's not permitted to see her very ailing father. She's put on a plane to go back to Korea, so to fly back to Canada. That plane has a stopover in Beijing. When it stops in Beijing, Chinese authorities mount the plane, seize her and her infant, put them in a cell in China, and only after an outcry was she released and allowed to return to Canada, but not able to see her father, nor have her father see his grandson. That is tragically unconscionable. Every one of us can make a difference. It may be simply in taking one 
small step in whatever way we can to advance the case and cause of human rights and let these political prisoners know that they are not alone, that we stand in solidarity with them, and we will not relent until they are released. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Idea City on the Air. Catch Moses Neimer's Idea City Conference live every June in Toronto or on regularly scheduled radio and TV shows throughout the year. And find hundreds of talks online every day at ideacity.ca. For more information about Idea City, find us online at ideacity.ca, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or youtube.com slash ideacity. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.